Hey, it's your pal Mike Shea from SlyFlourish.com here with a special episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy DM Prep. This is going to be a post-mortem look at Chapter 2 of Descent into Avernus. I've been running Descent into Avernus as an irregular game on, on different nights, so I haven't done prep videos before I run them. And instead, I'm going to be doing a video like this after I run each chapter. Although Chapter 3, I'm probably going to break up into multiple videos in which I talk about my experiences having run that chapter and what changes I made, and what worked well, and what didn't work so well, uh, in, in hopes that you can learn from it. Uh, this video, like uh, all of my videos, uh, is thanks to the patrons of Sly Flourish. If you go to patreon.com slash slyflourish, you too can become a patron of Sly Flourish. Uh, you get access to a monthly newsletter. You get access to a, uh, in, a unique adventure uh, just for uh, patron supporters called Regnum Raddus, the Rats in the Cellar. And you get other little odds and ends, access to a Discord channel and things like that. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about uh, Descent into Avernus. So I have uh, two other, two or three other videos I've done. I think it's two other videos where I covered the introduction to Descent into Avernus and uh, uh, talked about the, the most important things that you need to know in order to run this adventure. I'm going to reinforce it right now. You can go back and look at those videos to get a deeper look, but I'm going to reinforce the things that helped make this adventure run uh, much better than I think it would have run out of the box. And the biggest thing you can do to make Avernus run well is make sure that your characters, before you begin, uh, during your session zero, make sure your characters have a strong tie to the city of, to, uh, the city of El Terrell, the Hellriders, and Rhea Mantlemorn, the NPC Rhea Mantlemorn. Uh, if they have a strong emotional connection, if all of the characters have a strong emotional connection to El Terrell, to Rhea Mantlemorn, and to the Hellriders, all of the rest of this adventure becomes so much smoother than if you try to run it out of the box where they have to build that motivation along the way. And it's really hard to motivate level five characters to go into hell for a city they've never seen to help people they don't really know. So that's my number one tip for Descent in Avernus overall. But today we're going to be looking uh, specifically at, uh, chapter, at chapter two. So I've got my, some notes uh, that I wanted to talk about uh, I want to thank my friends here on Twitch today. I'm on Twitch right now. Uh, I want to thank my friends on Twitch who have helped me put these notes together uh, to kind of get my head in the right place while thinking about Chapter 2. So uh, the number one thing I noticed about Chapter 2 is that it was much easier to run as is than Chapter 1 and that I expect Chapter 3. I have a feeling Chapter 3 is going to require the most work to modify to get it where I want it to go. Uh, than anything else. But chapter one needed a fair bit of work too, mostly in uh, needing a better introduction. And the introduction I re recommended for chapter one, another video about it, is the DM Guild adventure called The Fall of El Terrell by Anthony Joyce and Justice Armand. I highly recommend uh, that intro adventure. It does exactly what I talked about, about reinforcing the character's connection to the Hellriders, to El Terrell, and to Ray Mantlemore. Really important. Um, so the nice thing is that with chapter... Uh, two, we really didn't have to do uh, a lot of extra work. It really runs pretty much as is. Uh, here is my, uh, let's see, we're going to go to chapter two here. Why do I have that search box up? Go away, search box. Um, so uh, this chapter all takes place in El Terrell in hell. Uh, you start off having teleported into hell after the whole situation with Candlekeep and learning about the, uh, learning about how uh, Thavius Krieg um, cursed the city of El Terrell, and now it's trapped in hell. Not everyone's dead, and, and here you show up. Uh, there is a flow chart in the beginning of this chapter, 
And it's, you know, a flow chart's probably an extreme. It's like a list of the main things that happen in here. There's no flow because there's no decision trees. It's all bing, 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 bing. But it works, right? It works pretty well. You arrive in El Terrell and you travel through El Terrell. You get to the high hall uh, and you meet the refugees of uh, El Terrell in the high hall. Uh, they lead you to find um, Oldar Ravenguard in the Grand Cemetery. And in the cemetery... You meet uh, Gideon Lightward. You meet uh, Oldar Ravenguard, who is currently, uh, he's like knocked out from the thing, the artifact he got, or from the Gate of Baphomet, one or the other. Uh, and you um, bring him back. Oh, and you, you fight, you, you close a demon gate, uh, a, a demon gate to Baphomet, uh, and then get out of the Grand Cemetery. And then you bring Oldar Ravenguard back to High Hall. You restore him from consciousness, and he tells you, uh, he, he gives, he gives sort of the next big view of where the game, of where the whole story goes. And that story is, we need to get the sword of Zariel. It's at a place called the bleeding Citadel. It's out there somewhere in Avernus. We don't know where it is and we need to get it. Uh, but then the real goal of this, uh, this chapter, the one thing you want to make sure that the chapter does is that it leads the characters to Fort Knucklebone. Uh, which is their first stop in Avernus. So one of the things you want to learn about is that, yeah, they know that there's this place called the Bleeding Citadel. You know that the Sword of Zariel is there and that the Sword of Zariel is required or is one is potentially an item that can save Elturel. It can shatter the chains and save Elturel. Uh, and that it's missing out there in Avernus. And no one, you know, not no one knows where it is, but very few people know where it is. But then you need to say, like, one person who can help you find out is Mad Maggie in... Um, in Fort Knucklebone. It's probably a devil that might tell you that, but there's a few ways that they could learn that. They can learn that from um, Lulu. Uh, they could learn that from Garga, uh, from from the Shield of the Hidden Lord. Uh, they could learn that from one of the devils that they deal with along the way. Uh, so there's a few ways they could learn that, but it's that's kind of the next most important thing that you know leads you out of chapter two and into chapter three. So it's important to keep that in mind while you're running it because you want to make sure that that information gets out there to the players at the right time so that they will leave El Terrell, go down to Avernus, and head towards Fort Knucklebone. Uh, so one of the wild cards uh, that exists throughout this whole chapter, and I think throughout much of the book, is the Shielded Hidden Lord. Uh, it's possible and probably likely that the characters pick this up somewhere in Chapter 1. Uh, and it is possessed by a demon lord named Gargoth, a very, very powerful demon lord. Some even think it's a demigod named Gargoth. And you have to think about, like, well, what does Gargoth want? So one of the players probably, or one of the characters probably has the shield. It's a really good shield, right? Fire protection and plus two shield, right? Really nice shield. It's rare that somebody won't take it. Uh, and you probably don't want it to have it to be too evil. You probably want it to give some useful information, but you also want to make it sinister, right? And they, like, they know this thing's not quite right. And they know what's in there. They don't know what's going on. And Gargoth King is a great source for secrets and clues, right? So is Lulu, right? They're great ways to pass information to the characters. And they are both unreliable narrators. Uh, they don't have to give all the secrets. Gargoth might only give the information that he wants to give. Um, and, and his goal is escape the shield. I don't know how he escapes the shield yet. And I don't know who in Avernus might know. And maybe he doesn't know. So, but that's a, that's a continuing thread. It's one of the interesting circumstances where an item is a character, an NPC, and the item has a quest it's trying to fulfill that may go in parallel with the characters or may not. But right now it's probably in parallel. And, and, and Gargoth, the, the Shield of the Hidden Lord, is a great way where the, whoever's wearing it can get visions of like, I, I, I see a place and I see a person there and maybe they're the one, you know, Gargoth says, go see Mad Maggie at Fort Knucklebone. She can tell you what you need to know. 
So that's, you know, that's one way. So the wild card of the, of the shield of the hymn Lord, something to keep in mind when you're running it. Uh, there's really sort of three main sections to this chapter. Uh, traveling through El Terrell uh, overall, which you'll do a number of different times as you go from place to place. You go from the place where you teleported to High Hall. Uh, you go from, it's called High Hall, right? I have that right. Yeah. Uh, you go from places, uh, uh, from, you know, places that you go from where you teleport into the High Hall, High Hall to the cemetery, cemetery back to High Hall, and then leaving El Terrell. So there's lots of times you're traveling through El Terrell. And it's, it can be a lot of fun. And what I, what I recommend is that, like, really reinforce the theme of, of Avernus, right? This is their, they're like standing in a human city, but the city is floating above the river Styx, hundreds of feet above the river Styx and hundreds of feet above the surface of Avernus. The sky is swirling red fire. You know, there's the starscape, the rare times they can see it are alien and, and uncomfortable. Uh, there's weird things floating out there. There's devils flying about, right? There's all these kinds of things. It's a scary, scary place. It's a place that humans are not meant to walk, right? And yet here you are. And then they might get little bits and pieces. You probably want to dole this out over time, not all at once, that when they start off, they see the sky. But it's not until they reach the first bridge and they look down at the crack where the bridge is spanning over and they see that it just falls on hundreds of feet below to the river sticks. And you're like, Oh my God, we are, you know, it's the first time you really get the feeling you're in hell. So you want to reinforce that. You don't want to just give a monologue for, you know, 15 minutes. You want to drop pieces of this in, uh, as they go. Uh, and there's all these things that you want to reinforce the, ch the huge chains that are binding El Terrell, uh, the big stakes that the chains are connected to the, 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 the charred landscape of, of Avernus below the river sticks, you know, and the souls that are floating around and how huge demonic creatures come out and vomit forth armies of demons. And then devils are there in formation waiting to fight them. You know, the blood war, you want to reinforce the blood war. It's a real important backdrop to this whole campaign. And then one thing I did is I actually had Zariel's ship come in. Zariel is on sort of a huge spike looking structure that sort of floats over. And I had it sort of float by uh, as though she's kind of, you know, she's sort of growing Elterald into the thing that she wants it to be. And she might go and take a look at her flowers and see how things are going and then floats away again. And it gives this, you know, it's a way of foreshadowing. And you can really foreshadow a whole lot of stuff uh, in this chapter. It's a great way to drop a lot of seeds of things and then have those seeds uh, grow throughout the whole rest of the campaign. We'll talk about some of the other seeds that we have here. Uh, the book itself has a good list of random encounters uh, that you can drop in while the characters are traveling through El Terrell. I don't recommend dropping in a whole lot of these. I, I would kind of read through the list, find the ones you like, and drop in probably one encounter in between each major landmark that they go to. So if they're going from the place they teleported to the first bridge, have a random encounter between there and the bridge. Then there's a, a fixed encounter at the bridge. Then from the bridge to High Hall, maybe have another encounter. And uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't drop a whole lot of these. Um, I myself, the way I've been running this game is in three hour sessions about every other week. So I want to move the pace pretty quickly. I don't want to linger. And, um, so I picked like two encounters. I think they face like basically two or three encounters total, uh, in between their travel from, from place to place, like one, one, one encounter per travel. Uh, there is an, another excellent third party, um, third party product called encounters in Avernus. Uh, this is done by a whole host of many of the best creators for, uh, for freelance creators for D&D. Uh, M.T. Black, James Hake, James Intercasso, Rich Lescafer, Sean Merwin, and Ashley Warren. Uh, it's a platinum bestseller. It's $6, uh, very highly rated. And it's an excellent book of encounters, both in Avernus and in El Terrell and in the River Styx. It's got a lot of really great material here. Uh, I have a very particular desire for random encounter books. And this one hits that desire of giving more information that I could get from just random monsters, but not so much that I can't run it on the fly. 
right? And that was really a good design. Like to me, a good design random encounter is one where it's more than I could do on my own, but not so much that I can't do it. I can't improv it while I'm, while I'm running the game. So I highly recommend this, uh, uh, this encounter or this, this product. And it has good random encounter uh, uh, information for Elturel if you want it. I, I was happy with the stuff that was in the main book. So I didn't actually use it for Elturel, but I probably will use it for chapter, for chapter three. Um, so there's another, one of the encounters in there, there's a, there's a, an encounter where a Narzagon, uh, which is a very powerful, let's take a look at the Narzagon. Uh, the Narzagon is a very powerful hell knight, right? That rides in on a nightmare. It has, you know, fire lances. It's very CR 13, very powerful monster. You don't want to have the characters fight this thing. Cause they'll just die. If they're like level five or six, that's hopefully this thing would kick their ass, especially on the nightmare. It's flying around and throwing hell lances. Um, but there is, uh, one of the named Narzagons is a fallen hell rider named Haruman. Uh, Haruman has, there's a place called Haruman's Hill in chapter three. So you can foreshadow having them see a Narzagon, uh, and, and like going through the city on its nightmare and like, you know, uh, you know, chain, you know, having devils follow in its wake, hunting down mortals to try to, to recruit into the blood, the blood war. That could be a fun thing for them to see in a distance and then can foreshadow seeing Harmon later. And they could learn about that night. They could be like, oh, wait a minute. That night's a fallen hell rider. One of the three top hell riders that rode in with Zariel when she first came to Avernus and yet it's still here and it's been converted. How interesting. So that's a fun thing to foreshadow and, and something I foreshadowed and I'm glad I did. So the first major landmark that the characters get to is High Hall. And at High Hall, they learn a lot about the next stages of their journey. Uh, this is their chance. They, you, you fight a few devils on the way in. You actually get to fight an Abishai, a white Abishai, which is kind of cool. And uh, then you get to meet with the refugees, the remaining refugees of Elturel that have hidden in the crypts beneath the High Hall. Uh, and what you learn is that Oldar Ravenguard, uh, who is the High Duke of Baldur's Gate, has uh, left for the cemetery, the Elturel Cemetery, uh, in search of an item called the Helm of Torm, which he, or the Helm of Torm's Sight, which he hopes will give him a vision of what they need to do in order to save Elturel from hell. Uh, so then another thing that you can kind of foreshadow here, this is sort of an interesting arc that I added in uh, that it's tied a little bit to Fall of Elturel. Uh, which is Gideon Lightward. So Gideon Lightward is a, is a priest in both in Fall of Elturel and in um, chapter two. I kind of screwed up and I made him the leader of the Hellriders. So he was sort of the, the current leader of the Hellriders, which then had a strong tie between Gideon and Rhea Mantelmorn and thus a, a stronger emotional connection. And I had, I had it mentioned that in, in High Hall, they said, yeah, Gideon, when we first got here, Gideon left for the cemetery. He kind of caught, you know, him... He, he, he just, he sort of left us here uh, and went straight to the cemetery. And then Oldar figured that Gideon was going after the Helm of Torm's site and that he might not have made it. So he's going to go after it too. So uh, Oldar followed Gideon uh, to the, the cemetery. Uh, and that sort of foreshadows what happens with Gideon and, and, and some changes that I had uh, with, with Gideon. So uh, then once they, so they know that the next stage in their journey is get to the cemetery, find Gideon, like, or find uh, Oldar Ravenguard and uh, return him here and find out what he's learned from the Helmetorm site. So now they have another journey. Again, you can run another encounter between their journey from High Hall to the cemetery. Uh, they get to the cemetery. There's things to fight outside the cemetery, minotaur skeletons. So one of the things is that uh, Baphomet, the, the, the demon lord Baphomet, has opened a gateway uh, underneath the cemetery in the, um, uh, in the, in the, in the crypt beneath uh, the cemetery. 
and has, uh, so there's a lot of minotaurs running around, minotaur skeletons and stuff like that. And um, the, uh, so the characters get there and they might meet Gideon there. And Gideon in the book is sort of a weird undead thing. He's kind of a mummy. He kind of does some other things. It's not really clear. All it is is like, he's an undead dude. And I was like, why not make him a vampire? Like we have another fallen hell rider that's already a vampire. Uh, and that one is Jander Sunstar, which we meet in at, at Haruman's Hall, Haruman's Hill in chapter three. Wouldn't it be interesting if Gideon was also a vampire and had been a vampire all the time Gideon was leading the Hellriders in Elturel? So the fun bit of backstory I had here is that Gideon Hell Gideon Hellrider, Gideon Lightward was the leader of the Hellriders and had been since the vampires were pushed out of uh, Elturel uh, centuries before. And that's when the deal was made. And that's when the big shining companion showed up and kind of burned the vampires away. That was actually like a century ago. Uh, Gideon uh, was one of the three knights who rode with Zariel into Avernus. And only Gideon returned uh, from that. And Gideon said that, that she has fallen, uh, you know, and, and, but we, we can maintain our force here. Well, in truth... What happened is that three knights, maybe four knights, because there's also the one who, who planted the Sword of Zariel. So, uh, you know, you can have like this, 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 the tale of the Hell Riders can be an interesting one that sort of comes out over time. And uh, Gideon could be one of those. And Gideon, when the characters meet Gideon, he can give them his story, which is the Hell Riders have always been about fighting evil. And we can fight the worst evil that's ever existed, which are demons that are infinite and they come from infinite worlds and there's an infinite number of them that, you know, we can fight them eternally and that our mortal flesh is a cocoon for what we really are, which are devils that serve the serve in the blood war for Zariel. And Zariel figured this out and now we still serve her. And that could be kind of this split of, you know, the, the, the hell riders who continue to maintain their loyalty to Zariel after her, uh, after she fell and, and, and bent the knee to, um, uh, to Asmodeus, some followed her and some didn't. And one of the ones that didn't was uh, Jander, Jander Sunsp- Sunstar, who is also a vampire. Um, so you can kind of have that. Some of the knights turned into vampires. You can have like one of them turned into uh, the Narzagon. So um, that's uh, Haruman. So you can plant a lot of the seeds of the knights of the Hell Riders uh, when they meet Gideon. And I would, I, in my game, I was like, you know, they already just fought a bunch of stuff. Do they really want to fight a vampire on top of everything else? So I had Gideon sort of zip away. Like when he realized they weren't going to follow, he's like, well, you know, he shook a finger at them and said, we're going to meet again one day. And then, you know, vampire ran out the door and disappeared. And like, oh man. So, but you could have him fight a vampire. You could have him. One of the things I had kind of planted on or, or, or worked on was like, he, when they got to the cemetery, um, he said, there is a gateway to Baphomet in below the cemetery. Uh, in the ossuary and you need to go down there and close if you want to save Oldar Ravenguard you have to go down there and close that gate and I will protect the cemetery up here from these skeleton minotaurs that are rising up out of the ground and he's fighting like dozens of skeleton minotaurs and just you know ripping their heads off and shattering their skulls with his bare hands and doing all kinds of cool vampire stuff right and the characters go down and they deal with the the portal uh, and then when they come back, he's wounded, right? He's been beat up and he might have half his hit points. 
he might have lost like a lot of his legendary actions, you know, like and and then they could fight a vampire, right? And then maybe if they beat him, he'll burst into ash and disappear, or maybe he vampire disappears away, or maybe he doesn't even fight him. Like they're not even worth it. You're you're just going to die with every other mortal here. It won't matter. And then he disappears. So there'd be a bunch of ways. But I think having Gideon be a vampire was kind of fun. Uh, so when the characters go down into the ossuary, uh, they can actually fight. So there's there's some demons and devils down there. Um, but one of the things I thought was fun, there's, there, they talk about the minotaurs coming out of the gate. And I said, you know, but these aren't real minotaurs. These are, these are hellish minotaurs. So we can add sort of the fiendish trait to the minotaurs. And adding the fiendish trait means basically taking all the common traits that you would apply to demons and applying it to them. Magic resistance, um, immunity to non-magic or, or resistance to non-magical weapons, dark vision, you know, stuff like that. And so you can just basically look at the common elements of the, de- the demons and apply them to the Minotaur stat block. And now you have a really cool um, fiendish Minotaur. Uh, it's a really easy reskinning technique that I recommend, by the way. Taking some traits from one monster, applying it to a different monster, and now you have something completely new. Um, so that's a fun way. And then for closing the portal, I had two pillars. I don't remember what's in the book, but I know that I had two pillars that had to be shattered for them to close the portal. And if they didn't shatter the pillars in time, more minotaurs would come out of, of the labyrinth and they could see the labyrinth out through the gateway, the labyrinth of, um, you know, they could see the entire labyrinth of, um, uh, Baphomet's realm through the gate, uh, which was really cool. So, so that's a lot of fun. And then when they come back, you know, they, they, they deal with Gideon. They return to Highhold with um, Oldar Ravenguard. Oldar Ravenguard takes up, man, you, through, a, through, through some work, maybe a removed curse, maybe some Arcana religion checks. You can save Oldar Ravenguard and you get a vision of, um, uh, you'll get a vision of uh, uh, where things need to go. You need the Sword of Zariel. The Sword of Zariel is kept in a place called the Bleeding Citadel. The Bleeding Citadel is out there lost. They get the vision of the knight. Uh, I forget her name, but there's a knight that served Zariel. And Zariel gave her Zariel's sword um, before bending the knee. And this, this, this knight took it out into the middle of uh, Avernus, stabbed it in the ground like Excalibur. And now it's out there like a festering wound, like a splinter that can't be healed in the, in the, in the landscape of, of Avernus. And it's sort of boiled up around it, right? And now there's this place called the burning, or called the, the bleeding citadel that surrounds it. But nobody knows where it is. Very few know where it is. But somebody might. And that somebody that might might be Mad Maggie at Fort Knucklebone who can help out. And that gets us our next step out of chapter two and into chapter three. The last thing that happens in chapter two is the characters have to find a way to descend the chains and get down. Uh, I was pretty late in my game. I hand, I didn't hand wave it, but I basically said, some of you use fly, whatever methods you have, climbing, flying, and you don't even, you can't even tell how long it took you to climb those huge chains to get down to the surface. And it was very precarious, uh, but you did make it down. You made it to the surface. You place your foot down on this alien landscape, realizing that as a mortal, you have no right to be here at all. Looking up at the sky and seeing El Terrell and seeing the black companion hanging above it and the bolts of lightning, hoping that your friends can survive while you go find the sword. And that's a pretty powerful conclusion to this chapter and a good way to lead into the next one. So, um, so that's, those are my, that's my thoughts, uh, and experiences having run chapter two. Uh, I thought this chapter ran pretty well. I have a feeling chapter three is going to be a much bigger deal, uh, and require a fair amount of work to, to move into the, 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 the style that I want. And in future videos, uh, you will see how I handle that, but hopefully this video is useful. If you like this video, please consider becoming a patron of Sly Flourish at patreon.com slash Sly Flourish, or take a look at my book, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, uh, in which we offer tips and tricks for getting the most, uh, from your prep uh, to run great D&D games. So thank you very much, and I hope to see you again soon.